and welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. I'm Jen. And I'm Eli. And this week we will continue our deep dig into the Bridgewater Triangle. Part two. Part two. A two-parter. Of two parts. So if you haven't listened to part one... Go back and give it a listen. Yes, because we cover a lot in part one, and we're going to cover a lot in part two. So, Dave? Yes. Let's go ahead and start digging. Okay. Near Rehoboth at Anawan Rock, named for where Chief Anawan surrendered and was executed by the English colonist, it is said that the angry spirits of warriors haunt this area, starting spectral fires and ghost dancing. What kind of ghost dancing? I mean, are they like rave dancers or... Uh, like tribal dancing oh. in circles. In 1968, five people claimed to see a strange ball of light floating amongst the wooded part of Rehoboth. Fireflies. This was, this was a swarm of fireflies. <laughs> At the Rehoboth Village Cemetery, many apparitions have appeared, such as the little boy who dances around the headstones. A woman in a white dress that hovers above the ground. A man dressed in 1920s-style clothing that is often seen punching the ground. Unexplained vapors and even the occasional colonial soldier are also witnessed. Paranormal investigator Brianne Hansis captured an EVP of a woman singing in the cemetery. It's all right for you to do that. That's a little eerie. Yeah, just just a little. <laughs> Might have been a little eerier if she heard it instead of just an EVP of it. Yeah. But still eerie. And it was on key. Mm-hmm. At the burned-down Shad Factory ruins in Rehoboth, witnesses have described phantom balls of light, phantom fires, and a sad man walking around in black clothing. Uh, the phantom lights are the ghosts of all the dead Shad. Um... And the sad man is sad because he can't get any more bait. <laughs> to be the sad man <laughs> behind blue eyes. Well, that was pretty, you guys. <laughs> yeah, we're about to go on the road. It's funny. <laughs> there have been many claims over the years of a hitchhiker with long red hair and a big bushy beard. He has been encountered along a five-mile stretch of U.S. Route 44 in Rehoboth, near the Seekonk-Rehoboth city line. Described as 45 to 55 years old, with red hair and a beard, dressed in a red flannel shirt, work boots, and either denim or brown pants. Sometimes he appears well-kempt, and at other times disheveled. In some encounters, he is as clear as a real person, In others, he is slightly transparent. The people that have gotten a closer look at him by giving him a ride or walking into him on the road say his eyes can be black and empty or glowing and lifeless. Every color has been attributed to them from yellow to red. There are many variations of his behavior, which are common to hitchhiker phantoms found all over the United States. At times when he is picked up, he stares at the driver and remains silent, ignoring questions. Then, vanishes before their eyes. This is followed by an auditory phenomena of laughing 
yelling, or taunting. I will say in the documentary, this was probably the creepiest thing in the documentary to me. And I don't know why. I, I think I just because I kept putting my myself in the the place of the people in the cars and the image on the documentary. I don't know. For some reason, it creeped me out. <laughs> like, I was like, man, if there was a big bushy haired dude that just all of a sudden hopped into my car while driving down the road, I'd probably swerve and hit a tree. (laughs) (laughs) Others have seen him vanish into the woods or waving and disappearing from the side of the road. On at least a few occasions, he has suddenly appeared in the road in front of vehicles, causing drivers to think they have run over someone, only to find no evidence of impact later. Another occurrence is people will see him appear outside the car window, while traveling at high rates of speed. Others have been startled by him suddenly appear in the back seat of their car. On one occasion, and this was told to me by an army buddy, whose sister's former brother-in-law's now ex-wife had a friend who attended Bay State College in Taunton, Massachusetts. That friend's brother's former roommate picked up the red-headed hitchhiker back in the 90s. The hitchhiker left behind his flannel jacket, and when he went to return it to the address on the label, the family informed him that not only had their son been dead for years, he was in fact buried in that exact flannel jacket. Okay, so I made that last one up (laughs) to drive home the point that most of these tales are similar to the urban legends attributed to hitchhikers all over the highways and byways of America. However... Some of the encounters with the red-headed hitchhiker of U.S. Route 44 are very unique. The earliest written record I could find was in the 1994 book New England Ghost Tales by Charles Robinson. He spent some time in the area collecting paranormal encounters people have had over the years. A few of these stories piqued my interest. A couple named Harry and Sheena Hansen broke down at about 10 p.m. along the highway in October of 1984. Sheena stayed with the car while Harry walked to get help. Harry walked into the red hitchhiker on the side of the road and tried to speak with him. He asked if there was a payphone close by. No answer. Harry asked again. No answer. The stranger only sat there staring at Harry. Harry asked once more, A quote-unquote odd grin came upon the stranger's face. Harry asked him if he was okay. The stranger's face changed. Suddenly the man's face got very strange. He stopped grinning. He twisted his mouth, and I noticed that there was something wrong with his eyes. They were all clouded over no pupils or anything, just blank and all white. I began to feel weird and started to walk away from him. As I hurried away, I heard the man laughing. I turned around, but he was no longer there. I mean, I could no longer see him there, but I still heard the laughing. It was coming from just a few feet away from me, and the laughing kept switching locations. First in front of me, then behind me, then to the left of me. It was so bizarre. Here I am, stuck in the middle middle with with you. you. (laughs) See, I thought... How bizarre, how bizarre. (laughs) Harry ran back towards the car and found his wife, Sheena, standing outside, shaking and trembling. She told her husband that a voice came over the car's radio. 
a creepy voice. It called her by name and laughed hysterically. <laughs> Barbara. Barbara encountered the man in February of 1981 when she drove right over him going 60 miles an hour. There was no time to brake. I even swerved the car. In a matter of seconds, I ran over him. I mean, I thought I had. Barbara stopped as fast as she could, ran from the car and down the road, checking for the man in the red flannel. That's when... I heard this loud, horrible laughing, laughter coming from the woods to the side of the road, right near the spot where I thought I hit the man. The laughter was terrible. She ran back to her car and drove away. After going not even a mile, there was the man again right in the middle of the road, and she drove over him again. This time she stopped, but didn't get out. After rolling the window down, she again heard the laughter. He just fucking with her at that point. (laughs) (laughs) He lied. Hey, yo, bitch, what's the answer to number seven? A lady named Wanda says the red-headed hitchhiker appeared in her rearview mirror. Then the radio started to scan through the frequencies, becoming louder and louder until it was so loud it shook the car. The man disappeared. Then over the booming radio, she heard his maniacal laughter. Ha, 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 ha. Barbara. Waka, waka, waka. <laughs> Joe reported that back in the winter of 1969, I saw a man's face outside the car, pressed against the passenger side window. This was physically impossible. My car was traveling about 50 miles an hour. The face looking in at me, grinning. I could see the man had red hair and was wearing a red plaid shirt. I swerved off the highway and brought my car to a stop, but that time, the man had vanished. After about 10 minutes, I finally calmed down enough to restart my car and drive home. That incident left me shaken up for the last 25 years. Yeah, that'd be creepy. Yeah. The next story of the hitchhiker is almost textbook urban legend. John has never had an encounter with a ghost, but his brother's friend had the air taken out of his lungs by what he saw on the road. He had been driving alone when he saw him on the side of the road. He stopped and called out to the man. He started to walk towards him. As he got closer... He faded until he had completely disappeared. John also knew a peculiar invocation ritual that sometimes works. See, he had driven to the town line. They say if you drive to the town line, turn off the lights, honk three times, he will appear in front of your car or in your headlights when you turn them back on. This guy had tried that, but it didn't work. I guess the ghost was slow that night. Y'all remember going... Y'all remember going through all these when we did the the hitchhikers mm-hmm. yeah. and the crybaby bridges and stuff, but I, I just thought some of these tales were extremely unique yeah. that I've never heard attributed to any other hitchhiker fan. Let's see, how do you imitate a slow ghost? Oh, boo! No, George, it's boo! <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Lake, author of Ghost Hunting Southern New England, also describes in his book, Phantom Fires, Apparitions, Cold Spots, and even a one-room schoolhouse still standing from centuries past that's haunted. But it was in an old newspaper I came upon the story of a young boy who mysteriously disappeared in Rehoboth. Man, this is a sad story, actually. In March of 1934, four-and-a-half-year-old Alden Johnson was outside his family farm playing with his older sister. He wandered off, and she heard a loud scream. 
The screams were also heard by neighbors who interpreted the cries as a child in pain. People started up a search party almost immediately, speculating Aldo may have been kidnapped or struck by a car and then loaded up into it. The search party extended out to a two-mile radius around the homestead. Dogs failed to pick up his trail. Two planes from the Providence Airport joined the search but saw nothing. There was no sign of little Alden. Quote, Ponds had been dynamited and pumped out. There was a ray of hope when nothing was found there. Houses and barns had been searched. The possibility of kidnapping or that he had been carried off by a hit-and-run driver were considered and ruled out. There remained only the woods. Experienced woodsmen and state police searched them, unquote. Night set in and brought a cold front, along with freezing rain that lasted until dawn. By the next morning, the family had lost all hope. The search party did not give up. They were determined to get young Aldi home, even if it was only for his funeral. The search crew grew and grew, and became at the time one of the most extensive for any lost person to the date. Local civil, local civil conservation corps members were working in a nearby swamp about two miles from Aldi's home. They finished their project and were to head over to Foxborough for their next assignment. Dusk was approaching, and sympathy caused them to look around a bit before abandoning the area. They hadn't been searching long when they came across something that would shock the town of Rehoboth. Young Aldi casually walked out of the woods and up to the workers. He had a big smile across his face and was holding a bundle of twigs. He asked the workers if they wanted to buy some flowers. The Civil Conservation Corps worker said the boy seemed to be in a daze, but he was smart. He said, Want to buy some flowers? And he held out what he had, sprigs and limbs of shrubs growth in his hand. I said, sure, and he seemed delighted. According to news reports, young Aldi was asked if he had been afraid. He hadn't been. He had just been picking flowers, he explained, and he could sell them. He was still trying to sell the shrubs and twigs for which he started out on an expedition that brought about the greatest mobilization in searches in the state's recent history. Aldi reported remembering nothing. He didn't seem to know where he was or that any time had gone by during his disappearance. He didn't remember the storm or even nighttime passing. He didn't remember the cold, and he also never saw the CCC workers' fire that had been blazing all night long. All he remembered was that he felt like going to pick some flowers. He didn't even remember screaming. Dun, dun, dun. Sounds like one of those life, la- lifetime stories. No, it sounds like one of those lost time stories that we talked about before. Well, no. puck wudgies. You remember when we covered that boy? Yeah, it's also very similar to that story, too. Yeah. The one that was saved by the bear. Yep. And they found him, like, what, like 50 meters from his house? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well... 50 feet, because we're American oh, yeah. and we measure in, um, we don't do metrics. <laughs> <laughs> we're not intelligent enough for metrics. I'm sorry. He was found about 50 washing machines from his house. <laughs> the Freetown Fall River State Forest covers about 5,400 acres and passes through the center of Freetown. It is said to be the home of a race of humanoid creatures known as the Puckwudgies. There are many tales of folklore concerning these beings in Delaware and Wampanoag folklore. 
generally described as three foot tall with smooth gray skin, large eyes, noses, and ears. They are notorious tricksters. And according to legend, they can appear and disappear at will, lure people to their deaths, use magic, shapeshift into cougars or other dangerous animals, confuse people or cause them to forget things, launch poison arrows, and create fire. Well, that just describes the pony-eating wolf and the large cat. Um, Even the orangutans. Yeah. I think we've just, you know, now debunked everything from the... Explained everything from last episode. Pukwudgies. Native folklore says Pukwudgies were initially friendly to humans, but then turned against them after the Wampanoag devoted all their attention to Moshop, a land deity that created Cape Cod. Pukwudgies became jealous and mischievous, then were exiled by Moshop. The Pukwudgies responded by killing Moshop, but in some accounts, they only killed Moshop's sons. Since then, the Pukwudgies had a curse placed on them where they cannot attack humans directly. They can only entice them and lure them, sometimes, to their deaths. Greenville Paranormal founder and author Andrew Lake has investigated the area known as the Bridgewater Triangle many times in his career. He had the following to say concerning the Pukwudgies on Monsters and Mysteries. Uh, the Pugwudgie, uh, just saying their name around here, anybody who's familiar with the legend knows you're talking about a nasty little creature. Pugwudgie used to be a rather friendly little harmless creature, but at one point they became very upset with both man and the creator God. And since then, the Pugwudgies had been something to avoid. They seemed to like to lure people deeper into the forest. Hey, come here and check this out. And then before you know it. What would it take for each of you guys to be enticed by a puck wudgie? Hey, kids, you want to buy some pot? Klondike bar. <laughs> nice. Amy? What is a very large I box have of hot, hot tamales. Yeah, hot tamales. Yeah. <laughs> what would you do for, for a Klondike bar? I think for me it would take no more than this. Hey, come here and check this out. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the way he said that. Rewind you. But Andrew Lake continues. They are not little innocent little creatures that live side by side with the Native Americans in this area. They've become somewhat of a, uh, a little monster, a little terror. They have a reputation of using balls of light to lead you further and further into the woods just to get you lost or maybe to have some real nasty fun and make you walk off a cliff. Are they goblins? Possibly. He does bring up something interesting with the balls of light, uh, which reminds me of Will-O-Wisp from Irish folklore. Well, um, they, they either are guiding you away from your death or guiding you away from danger. Mm-hmm. With Willowis. The only reason why I know that is because Fable. So Another element found around Puckwudgies is a shadow being. Some paranormal investigators suspect the Puckwudgies control the ball of light, but are controlled by the shadow being. Is it possible the creature that tried to lure William Russo and Rainham was in fact a Puckwudgie? I want you. Sounds like one. I mean for a little kid so. to see this little creature in the woods 
I could totally see. And it's trying to beckon him, like, yeah. "Hey, come check this out." Well, Bill, <laughs> Bill Russo is the uh, the the guy with the dog, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, the air the from the Freetown Fall River State Forest to the Hockamock Swamp is maybe five ten miles away, but. It's still possible. Yeah, I mean, so his just... description though makes me think of Ewoks. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> buck wedgies are more described with like gray, gray skin, skin but yeah. they are shapeshifters. Yeah. yeah. So. Hmm. Well, he thought it was old, so maybe when they get old, they get hairy. I mean, that happens to men, right? <laughs> and women. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I want to formally submit the Puckwudgie as a contestant on our episode 200 cryptid battle, securing his position with the following song. When I was young, it made me jump when things went up in the middle of the night. But as I got older, I started getting bolder. Now I'm feeling really proud of myself. The windows banged and the telephone rang. And in the middle of the night, a little nightingale sang. But it's not so lonely when you know it's only a funny little fellow with a frown. Come here. We want you. He's so small, he lives in the wall at the bottom of the garden where the acorns fall. And when the sun goes down, he starts on his rounds, just keeping an eye on me. The barn door creaks and the tawny owl shrieks, and in the middle of the night, a little bogeyman speaks. When the north wind blows and the punchy doesn't show, I'm not so sure of myself. No, I can't think of Puckwudgie without their voice being that guy. I'm just picturing this little gray man with a British accent now. <laughs> I like Puckwudgies. I I accept their um, registration in the um, Great Cryptid Battle of Episode 200. In the Freetown Fall River State Forest, there are places that have a dark power to them. One of the most famous is an 80-foot rock quarry called the Ossinet Ledge, and more commonly, the Ledge. This was created by the River Granite Company sometime during the 1800s. On this ledge, people have described a compelling urge to jump off of the cliff. Several, according to newspaper reports, went through with it. Other people just feel a general sense of overwhelming dread when near it. Others have even seen unexplained aerial phenomena from its vantage point. Now, one thing air elementals do is they will fill you with an urge to jump off of high heights. So maybe the puck would you might be a type of air elemental. Or maybe, yeah, maybe. According to folklore. A young man and woman were deeply in love, but their families disapproved of their love, so they would secretly meet under the cover of darkness at the ledge. One night, 
the woman waited for her lover and waited and waited and waited. Then when he never arrived, instead of just leaving and coming back the next night, assuming something held him up, she jumped to her death in the frigid water below. Her spirit has haunted the ledge ever since. Some have even seen her apparition making that leap of despair and disappearing without a splash. That escalated very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't it? (laughs) Oh, it's 9.15. He was supposed to be here at 9. Screw this. He shows up at 9.20. Where'd she go? (laughs) I got a ticket on my way here. In this century, there has been at least one reported suicide at the ledge. In 2004, a man leapt from its height in front of his friends. John Brightman of the group New England Paranormal Research said he had an experience at the ledge around November of 2010. While standing near the ledge, he fell into a daze and started teetering near its edge. His friends rushed over and pulled him away. Later, Brightman recalled that a spirit told him to jump or leave. Glowing lights have also been seen on the pond at night. It was at this very area in May of 2008 when Chris Balzano was recording a segment for his book and DVD, Picture Yourself Ghost Hunting. The following clip is of a woman named Maureen struggling against possession of a puckwudgie. I hate when you have to dig those out. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) Oh, puckwudgie, not puckwudgie, sorry. Maureen. Watch your rope. Ron, you're still connected here. Ron, watch your going back too far. Maureen. Come on, Maureen, fight him. Oh, come on, Maureen. Don't let her go back too far, Ron. Don't let her get in the water. Yeah. No, no. Maureen. 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 Leave this fight. Leave this body. It's not your own. Leave it. Come here. Leave it. 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 Leave like a, but it sounded like, like an animal to me. Yeah, it sounded like a, like a cat, like yeah. a big cat. Like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I, I doubt that they'd like be calling a ground. cat Maureen and running after. This might be real. <laughs> My brothers and sisters, this might be real. I, I can't. I cannot unless there just happened to have been a cougar in the oh, background. Yeah. The same I just time. don't see how that was could have been made from the human mouth. Yeah, that 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 was creepy. Andrew Lake was also at this encounter, and he had the following to say. It was uh, the New England Ghost Project. Um, They are one of the few groups that actually works with a psychic. Their psychic wanted to see if she could contact any of the Indian spirits that haunt the woods and so on and so forth. While I was videotaping this, their 
psychic started thrashing about and acting like she was being attacked. Just a simple little video camera while someone was holding a flashlight seems to have caught a little creature standing in the blueberry bushes, a freeze frame of that, that video. In my opinion, shows a tiny little creature uh, that I wonder is a, you know, could be a Pugwudgie. So they're thinking that a pug was you put a hex on them or uh, some some sort. They think that they caught one on camera close yeah, by. Yeah, it's an interesting picture, but it also very well could be you know kind of matrix scene or something mm-hmm. like that. Because I mean, it's definitely a grainy still. And it's only a few frames within the video. Yeah, but but he was at least there to collaborate that he saw the possession. Yeah. That noise just freaked me the fuck out, though, man. I tell you what. Because, yeah. like, it doesn't sound like something you would normally hear. Like, even a, like when we cover possession, and I'm sorry for, to stem off on this, but when we cover possession, you heard all kinds of shit. Mm-hmm. And, like, there are ways to, like, have that dull tone, you know, scream or voice or whatever. But, like I said, that tone right there is... If I woke up to that tone, I'd probably piss myself, to be honest with you. Like, if, if I was asleep and that was the first noise I heard, I'd probably piss myself. Because that does not, that sounds like straight up possession. Like, that sound. sorry. I'm not a demonologist, nor am I, a, you know, an exorcist. But that would be enough to scare me. Because, like, you know, we, we've talked, you know, off and on for, like, for the at least the, the past, you know, for me, would be 80-something episodes. And... You know, a lot of our, 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 our background talk that we have when it comes to spiritualism and stuff like that is all about, like, the negative energies and the positive energies. Right. And, like, negative energies are always going to scare me. Like, I always know that there's a combatant against negative energies, and usually the combatant isn't going to harm you at all. Right? Um, but the negative energies are always going to scare me in that situation. Even with this situation, just hearing that, it just... You know, it's it's kind of it's kind of mind crippling a little bit, you know. So I don't know, man. What do you think? I mean, I it seems genuine to me, but I mean, at the same time, this kind of stuff can be faked. So it could be. To me, though, Indian lore, for some reason, I believe it more than a uh, lot of things. A hundred percent. And the re- and I'm sorry to cut you off. Okay, sorry, go ahead, Amy. I apologize. Well, I was just going to say, because to me, well, they're more in tuned with the earth and the universe around them, especially especially at this time period. Nate, or, you know, back with the Wampanoag and all that stuff, when, you know, modern civilization hadn't moved in yet. They were far more in contact with the earth and the spiritual realm. So I think that when they tell lore of big Bigfoot, when they tell lore of Puckwudgies and spirits and, you know, four spirits and you know, all that stuff, they're more in tune with it. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it has a little bit more credibility. There's a lot comes. more backing. Yeah. Because like the, uh, one thing that Amy was talking about with, you know, they have a lot more, they're a lot more in touch with it and everything like that. They didn't have the out. I mean, it's almost like going to a tribe now that has no out, like has no access, or has ever been introduced to the outside world of their populace. There's multiple islands out there that have have those cultures, and 
they would believe high and low that their their deity lives and their the you know certain shit happens and they they believe in that they have no outside source to effectively counteract or change their mind that is 100% true and that is the reason why i will always believe native folklore period i did find a folklore tale that back in the late 1600s during king philip's war um members of the wampanoag tribe were chased toward that ledge and instead of being captured they jumped off to their deaths Hmm. See? But, like I already said before, that's from a rock quarry. And that ledge wasn't, wasn't even there. there until the late 1800s. Yeah. So. When, when I first watched the uh, documentary that Chad turned me on to, actually, it was technically you who turned me on to it, Amy. Um, and then Chad watched it. And Chad's like, you really need to watch it. Uh, and I, I sat down there uh, in the room one night and I watched it. And when they first started talking about it, they literally brought up the the Indian culture in it first, or mm-hmm. basically what happened uh, between the wars and um, and stuff like that. And then they brought in the actual the names of you know the swamp and names of certain things and this and that. And, the other. and I immediately was like, "Holy shit!" You know, because like I said, like it's hard to deny a a culture. At, that at that point wasn't affected by anything really. Yeah, uh, they were affected by each other's beliefs, but they weren't affected by an outside belief because even their beliefs derived from each other. Yeah, you know. Well, I mean, if you're just if you're any druid or any pagan would tell you that the more in tune you get with nature, the more you pick up in your surroundings. I'm learning that, and so shamanism and the native american religions and all of that stuff they were just tuned in on another level than what we are today in society mm-hmm. so but that, that's just what my personal opinion with native american folklore and stories is that there's i feel like there's more truth to those than there are other other stories and other yeah i, I agree with you also I mean, heck, we've learned Native American stories our entire lives. Especially you, because was it your grandmother who was full-blood Cherokee? Uh, Great-grandmother? Great-grandmother. Yeah, I mean, she used to have, you know, she had a cure for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was just passed down from generation to generation through the tribe. And stories she would tell, things like that. You've told me things. Mm-hmm. And there's just a, there's a lot of wisdom if you talk to you know well there's a lot of wisdom in native american legend and lore absolutely profile rock is another place where paranormal encounters take place the 50 foot high rock looks like a human face peering over the land the wampanoag people considered it sacred and according to legend it is the image of chief masasoit whose son died at this very spot Chief Massasoit was the father of Chief Medicom, also known as King Philip. Chief Massasoit was the chief of the Wampanoag when the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock. The first American Thanksgiving was, in fact, with Chief Massasoit and the Wampanoag people. Native ghost dancers have been sighted in warrior dress dancing at this rock. Strange glowing orbs have been seen as well as disembodied voices heard. 
It's actually a pretty cool looking rock, and it does. It looks like the profile of an Indian. Mm-hmm. With a like a Native American headdress and yeah. everything. Copicot Road begins in the Asanat village of Freetown. Through the remote woodlands of Fall River State Forest to Copicut Reservoir. Many motorists along this seven-mile stretch of mostly unpaved road have had run-ins with the mad trucker of Copicut Road. As the story goes, a pickup truck will come out of nowhere, drive up right behind motorists flashing the lights, blaring the horn, and trying to run them off the road. Witnesses have described seeing an angry-looking 20-something-year-old man driving the truck. Then the truck just vanishes. Sounds like Jeepers Creepers. Yeah, it, it does. Jeepers Creepers. Where'd you get, get them peepers? Jeepers Creepers. Where'd you get those eyes? And doesn't he have big bat-like wings? Yeah. <gasps> I wouldn't say he's about a 20-something-year-old, though. No. He looks about 200 years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least. The forest has also served as the execution site to many murders. And the dumping ground of bodies, some tied in with gangland crime. Many people have also ventured into there to end their lives. Cult activity has been a big part of the area for decades. During the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, rumors of a sinister cult spread fear throughout the community. Alleged animal sacrificial sites prompted local law enforcement to launch an investigation. In the early 1970s, things started small, with graffiti on rocks of pentagrams, numbers, and crosses. Some sites contained animal bones. People witnessed black-robed groups gathering in the woods. Dumb, bored teenager stuff, right? The area was obviously satanically panicked. Retired Freetown police detective Alan Alves handled most, if not all, of the cult activity investigations. Warning, this is going to be about true crime from here on, and it's going to be pretty rough. So if you want to click off, see you later. Be sure to check out our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UMP Normalcy and our website at umpnormalcy.com. And also check out Paranormal Box. The link will be in the description below. Better put Paranormalcy in at code at checkout and get 10% off your order. It's super awesome, and I think you guys would really enjoy it. And those of you who are leaving, until next time, keep digging. Those of you who are sticking around, let's get into it. After a word from our sponsor. Do you love the paranormal? Well, of course you do. You're listening to our podcast. Do you love subscription boxes? I know I do. There's nothing better than getting that subscription box in the mail and knowing that whatever's inside is just for you. Each month it's like Christmas morning, except for you don't have to worry about Krampus swatting you with a switch. Our listeners have an opportunity to combine their love, the paranormal, and their obsession with subscription boxes. We are now working with Parabox Monthly. Each month they send out an awesome new paranormal-themed t-shirt, but that's not all. Each t-shirt contains a secret password. That can be in the form of a code, a cipher, riddles, numbers, or any other hidden gems. Solve the monthly challenge and get entered to win free merchandise. I'm so excited. I just ordered my first box and I cannot wait until it gets here. 
If you want to get your Parenter Box subscription, just go to the link in the description of this episode and enter our promo code PARANORMALCY at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first box. So check out Parabox Monthly today. The cult activity began to get worse. Investigators found dead animals and carcasses that had been mutilated and splayed out in ritualistic fashion. Here is retired detective Alvin Owes speaking about some of the things that haunt him to this day, including a dead infant they found. Well, we could uh, fill a book on that. Uh, there's been everything. There's a lot of... Um, we found some dead bodies in there. There was one instance which sticks out in my mind of uh, um, somebody that beat up a... Uh, kidnapped a guy from uh, a young boy from uh, Fall River from in Somerset at a dance, brought him out to the state forest, beat him up, and buried him alive. Uh, weren't able to find They stole his boots. Weren't able to find him for three days, found them buried under leaves. Uh, unfortunately, it was so cold it frost, and he had to have his legs cut off below the knees, but uh, he survived. But uh, that was pretty, uh, that what sticks out my mind uh, quite a bit. That was a pretty horrible case and uh, we knew it was cold and we knew he was in the state forest and we, we were up against the clock trying to find him. Uh, a lot of activity. It seems like the, the, the ledge, which is about a 60-foot drop, uh, stone ledge off into the water. Uh, a lot of harm. It's a lot of suicides. You know, people going off there from jumping off there to maybe pushed off there from cars being dumped off the ledge and flying down over there. Um, so many weird things happen that forest that it's, it's eerie. One thing stuck out in my, my uh, mind which bothers me to this day was uh, we found, an, we got a call and there was an infant body of, a, of a, in, a baby, no more than 24 hours old that was died. Uh, it, it was died of exposure because it was just dumped in the garbage uh, in the Freetown State Forest. Uh, and we investigated that and we had a suspect, uh, but was unable to uh, solve that crime. That, that, that really bothers me to this day. That infant was uh, left there alive uh, to die throughout the night. Other weird things were uh, we found a uh, a cross with bindings on it where it appeared someone was bound to a cross. There was bloody underwear at the base of the cross. Huge cross, I mean, uh, made by four by fours, probably eight or ten foot high, uh, about six foot across the beam. And the weirdest thing, uh, one of the strange things was uh, at that time in Dartmouth there was a uh, uh, unsolved homicide. Uh, in Dartmouth, and uh, the investigator, detective over there, brought in a, um, a psychic investigator. Uh, she was a psychic from New Jersey, who was used by a lot of police departments and so forth. And so he called me, and he said, "He said, Alan, uh, you know, you have a lot of weird things happen over in the state forest, and I get this psychic over there. You know, we can bring it over there to see if she gets any feelings from." Uh, from the forest. So as soon as she got near the state forest, she said, get me on here, I see devil worship, I see satanic activity. And this is way before we had any of this 
uh, indication of Satan. And she said, this is devil, this is evil place, get me out of here. And she, she left, she was frightened. And I said, like, well, what a crackpot she is, you know. And then within, within a, a year or two, we started having all these cult and satanic activities in the forest. And, uh, you know, I wasn't sure if she uh, predicted it or if she caused it. <laughs> but, uh, but it was true. No, she didn't cause it. I was just joking. But uh, uh, she was right on the money with that. And uh, the, the strangest things happened there. I, I mean, a lot of things escaped me because it, it was so much and so often. But you hear stories from... Uh, um, ghosts in there, to strange animals, uh, to weird birds, um, to uh, aliens and UFOs. Uh, some of it believable, some of it not. But uh, after doing this for a while, I, I, you know, I, I was a police officer and I was learned to deal with only in facts, but. The role again, the more investigations I've, I've done, it's like, uh, uh, I'm not saying I'm a total believer, but uh, the jury's out. I'm not, you know, some of the things that happened weird, I, I really don't know. In 1979, the nearby town of Fall River experienced one of the most sensational homicide cases in its history. Keep in mind, this is where the Lizzie Borden axe murders took place. In October of 1979, the remains of 17-year-old Doreen Levesque were found behind the stadium bleachers at Denman Vocational High School Field. Levesque's hands had been bound behind her back with fishing line, and her skull had been crushed. Crime scene investigators determined the victim suffered sexual abuse, was stabbed multiple times in the head, and had several wounds consistent with a bludgeoning weapon all over her body. In November of 1979, law enforcement received multiple leads from several informants that a cult was conducting rituals in both the Freetown Fall River State Forest and a Fall River housing project. One of these informants was a 44-year-old man named Andy Maltias who also reported that his 19- or 22-year-old girlfriend, Barbara Ann Raposa, was likely kidnapped by the cult members who also controlled a local prostitution ring. Maltias revealed that he was a convicted pedophile, sexual sadist, and rapist, but had recently converted to Christianity after leaving the cult. It's all good now. <laughs> Malteus offered to arrange a meeting between police officers and two other members of the cult, named Robin Murphy and Karen Marsden. He also told detectives that Doreen Levesque was a member. After hours of questioning, Marsden dissolved into tears and cried, Carl Drew killed Doreen Levesque. She wouldn't agree to testify. Undercover police soon worked their way into the cult and attended a ritual at the Fall River Housing Project. The ritual included bizarre chanting and cries of Hail Satan. Investigators learned that 17-year-old pimp and prostitute Robin Murphy and 25-year-old pimp Carl Drew were leading followers in these rites. In January of 1980, the body of Barbara Ann Raposa was discovered in the woods behind the abandoned printing plant. Her hands had also been tied behind her back with fishing line, 
she was sexually abused, and her skull was crushed. Malteus then contacted police again, claiming to have a psychic vision of the location of Raposa's body, as well as the time and manner of her death. He was arrested immediately and charged with murder. Weeks later, Karen Marsden went missing. The previously standoffish 17-year-old Robin Murphy then came forward. She claimed to have been at the murder of Doreen Levesque and was willing to testify against Maltias in exchange for immunity in both Levesque and Raposa's murder cases. Prosecutors agreed. She testified that Malteus had raped and beat Barbara out of jealousy and left her by the side of the road to crawl home before driving off with Murphy. Two months later, the remains of a skull was found at Family Beach in Westport, Massachusetts. Not on the beach, but in the nearby woodline. Near the skull was a clump of the victim's hair, along with sheep bones and three cat skulls. Forensics determined the skull belonged to Karen Marsden. Another member of the cult named Carol Fletcher stepped forward, pointing a finger at Carl Drew and Robin Murphy. In 1980, Robin Murphy and Carl Drew were arrested in connection with the murder of Marsden. Murphy told police that the cult killed every 30 days or so on the full moon. She claimed the group spoke in tongues, conjured demons, and conducted human sacrifice. They also tortured their victims. Murphy admitted to participating in the murder of Karen Marsden. She told police while alive her fingernails were ripped off and her hair was pulled out. They then cut her head off with a saw and kicked it around like a football. In the case of Karen Marsden, Robin Murphy agreed to testify against Carl Drew in exchange for immunity. Prosecutors agreed to let Murphy plead guilty to second-degree murder. (laughs) They weren't going to let her get away with it again. Other than Murphy's testimony, nothing other than circumstantial evidence was submitted to Carl Drew's 1981 trial. Drew was convicted of the first-degree murder of Karen Marsden and was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Robin Murphy later recanted her testimony against Carl Drew. Both were condemned by mainstream satanic organizations like the Church of Satan and the Temple of Set. Ritual sacrifice and criminal deeds in the name of Satan remain extremely controversial subjects and forbidden amongst Satanists. Nevertheless, animal sacrifices and evidence of rituals continued even after the arrest of Murphy and Drew. In the light In the late 1980s, at least four to five grave robberies were performed in small cemeteries around Freetown Forest. The corpses all had the skulls removed. At the Animal Rescue League of Fall River, the pet cemetery had to be shut down around 1989 because of the vast number of incidents of people digging up and taking the animal remains. On November 12, 1991, Three teenagers broke into a mausoleum and broke open the crypt. They removed the head of the corpse with a saw. They drove away with it, but the smell was so bad, they stopped and hid it in some bushes. The three juveniles were arrested and informed the police they did this 
so they could be initiated into a cult. Their aim was to drink from the skull in order to be imbued with power. They redacted this story later on and said they made up everything about the cult and just did the crime for fun. The remains of mutilated cows were discovered in the spring of 1998. Where cows? Then in 1999, 12 baby calves were found slaughtered on the Darkmouth side of the forest. Baby work, cows. <laughs> they were described as being completely drained of blood. Another peculiar thing is that there is no cattle in this area, leaving people to speculate that they must have been trucked in from elsewhere. Or they came in as humans. They came in as humans, and they were having a were-cow convention in Massachusetts, and... Then the reptilians came. Yeah, the reptilians came. And incubated in them, and then they died and hatched, and, you know, there were dead cows. And then the animal mutilations completely stopped. Yeah, because the were-cows learned that they were not going to have their conventions in Massachusetts anymore. (laughs) They learned that the reptilians knew exactly where they would be. During this time, in either the late 80s or early 90s, a bunker was found out in the forest. Inside of it, there was a child-sized chair cut out of a log, children's clothing, and a pile of headless dolls. A lot of the locals, especially the children, referred to this place as Carl Drew's bunker. The police speculated it was tied in with the cult activity somehow. To me. It sounds like they may have just found the lair of a puckwudgie. So, we got a little bit of ooky spooky, a little bit of bloody, bloody gory true crime, and a little bit of werecow. There's a lot more uh, bloody blood blood than I actually I expected all of it. So. Well, that's why we asked the listeners that it was a damn didn't triangle. Wanna, didn't want to listen to it to turn off the headsets. Yeah. But um, this is an interesting place. Uh, right, like I was saying outside, I really want to go to uh, Hackamuck Air Swamp. Uh, swamp. Kind of sounds like Hackamup. Hackamup? Hackamup Swamp. Oh. <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> wait till they drain the swamp. <laughs> drain the swamp. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's very interesting, and I'm glad we covered it, because, I mean, it... Very interesting. <laughs> As we looked into this, Dave was like, we've done an episode on every single thing that happens here. It's like, we really have. Other than Puckwudgies, we have not done a Puckwudgie episode. We're Thunderbirds. Yeah, we're, we're Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds. But everything else, I think we pretty well covered. So, what do you think? Bridgewater Triangle. It's real. Uh, if you're going to go visit this place, I suggest that you go with a group. That way, if one of you gets enticed to jump off a cliff... Into a quarry. You take them all along with you. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, <laughs> friends, who, friends who fly together die together. You know? <laughs> or in this place, you know, friends who quest together die together. I say, if you go there, take some holy water, take a cross, um, whatever. What, or take your satanic robes and just fit in with the locals. I mean, or, whichever you want to do. You down with J- <laughs> spray yourself down with the cologne, J.C. Christ. Okay. <laughs> However you want to, however you want to venture, and just I would just be careful. Beware the puck wedgie. Um, puck wedgies give really bad wedgies. 
With pucks. Butt plugs. Butt plugs. You don't want to turn into a cat as you're being exercised. <laughs> but I think that'll do it for the Bridgewater Triangle. Thank you, Dave, for bringing us that information. It is very interesting. Thank you for all your hard work. You're welcome. God, you're so handsome. To all of our listeners, be sure to join our Facebook group. Um, Lots of awesome stuff happens there. And just follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at UMP Normalcy. You can also check out our website. It has links to those pages um, at umpnormalcy.com. And... Remember to get your paranormal shirts from Parabox Monthly. And until next time, keep digging. Moo.